out of the Word, uh, we're going to go to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to the fifth chapter, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, I'll be reading from verse 2 all the way through to verse 18. It'd be lovely if you guys can follow along in your Bibles. John chapter 2, John chapter 5, sorry, um, verse 2 uh, through to 18. I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. And just a reminder that as we read this together as a church, uh, this is the Word of God. Verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there already a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man had been healed, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Amen. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, you might notice my throat's a bit croaky. Um, I've got a little bit of cough. I did a rat. Um, he said it's negative, but, you know, still stay away. Um, but I might cough in the middle of my sermon, and so please um, be gracious and block your ears when I do. Um, if you were here last week, uh, you would know that we, um, last week I shared what I hope is our kind of our banner or our, our drive for this year, which is that I want 2023 to be a year of walking with God. Right, and I spent a bit of time explaining, you know, why that is important and what that might look like. And this week and next week, I'm going to keep kind of pressing into this idea um, of what it might mean to walk with God this year. And so this week, I'm going to talk about knowing God. Ooh, no. no, no, Knowing God as Father. Many years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were in growth groups, like uh, our small groups. Um, I, I wasn't the pastor of the congregation at the time, so I was just another member. And we were closing up our time together. And what we used to do was one person would pray every time we closed. And this week, it was a new member who was going to pray. Now, this person was a new member. They weren't a new Christian, uh, but they were just new to the group. Um, 
We closed our eyes, we bowed our heads, and our brother began to pray. And after a short moment of silence, our friend began. And he said, he said this, he said, Daddy, we love you. <laughs> and I don't remember the rest of the prayer. <laughs> but when he said, Daddy, I was like a little bit shocked, right? Just be honest. It caught me a bit off guard because um, I'd never heard anyone call God Daddy, right? Father, Mighty One, King of Kings, in Alpha, Omega, all that stuff. But Daddy, like, I'd never heard that before. And when I thought about it, I think what kind of made me a bit shocked was it felt a bit too comfortable, right? It felt like he was pulling God down and diminishing maybe his glory, right? too colloquial, right? And I think that was my struggle when I heard it, right? I don't know how you'd feel if the person next to you prayed and said, Daddy, right? But <clears throat> well, I say that because when Jesus came to the earth and when Jesus began to talk about God and talk to God, this is the kind of exact response that the Jewish people had when they heard Jesus talk about God, right? And so I want to begin by talking about the relationship that Jesus had with his father. And by the way, I said last week, I was, my slides are very kind of diminished and simple now because I want us to stay, you know, with our Bibles open. And so we're going to go to John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, um, you don't want to turn there or you want to open it up in your Bible app. But the passage that Peter just read, uh, the context is that Jesus had just healed a man who was invalid for 38 years. And this is a very loving and compassionate, compassionate act. Uh, but the Jewish leaders, <clears throat> rather than praising God for the amazing thing that happened, um, they were upset. And it says they were upset because Jesus was working on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work. And so this man is carrying his mat, and they thought that's work. And also Jesus healed the man, and that's also work. And so, no, 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 you can't do that stuff on the Sabbath. And so they're upset. And so Jesus responds, right? This, this is what we find, verse 16. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. It says, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, this is what he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, Jesus' point here is that, you know, God, even though on the seventh day of creation, he stopped uh, working in terms of the work of creation, Jesus is still at work in other ways, in the work of preservation or the work of redemption. In these ways, God's still at work. That's Jesus' point. But what's relevant for us is how Jesus refers to God. In verse 17, he calls God my Father. And this is the first time in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about God in this way, my Father. And for us, when we hear this, Father, it's like, oh, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're used to it. But that was a huge deal back then. Right? The Jewish people would have responded much worse than I responded when that person said, Daddy. Right? They got really upset. Right? Look at how they respond. In the next verse, this is what it says. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Before it said Jesus was working on the Sabbath and so they were persecuting him. But now it says this is why they wanted to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When the Jews heard Jesus call God Father, they weren't just uncomfortable. They weren't just shocked. 
were astonished. They were angry. Angry to the point they wanted Jesus dead. Now why did this matter so much to them? You see, the Jews knew that God was holy, majestic, powerful. What we say is transcendent. He's beyond us. And we are mere humans. We are sinners. We are small, even insignificant compared to God. And there's a great kind of disparity between God and us. And they were upset that Jesus would talk about God as if they were similar, as if they were that close to one another. No, 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 God is holy. You don't call God Father. You know, the Jews knew when Jesus called God Father, He wasn't just saying a word or an empty title or just a throwaway line. He was speaking volumes about the kind of relationship He had with God. The relationship He had with God was personal, close, intimate, as a father and son. And the Jews didn't like it. To them, this was blasphemy. How dare this Jewish person, this so-called rabbi, call God Father? Who is he? Who does he think he is? How does he have the audacity to say that? We've got to put him to death. You know, the Jews are trained from a young age as children to learn and memorize the proper titles to call God. There are a lot of names of God in the Old Testament. But Father is not a title that they are taught to speak to God as. Many years ago, there was a German theologian, Joachim Jeremias, and he searched through the entire history of Judaism, from the beginning of Judaism all the way to the 10th century AD. And in all of the texts that we have between them through that time, in the Bible, out of the Bible, what he found was that never has a person spoken to God as Father. But there's not one example of a person calling God Father. Now, in our Bible, God is described as a Father. He's described maybe as our Father. But for a person to call God Father, right, there's never a written example of this. The first Jewish person to ever call God Father, as far as we know, is Jesus. Jesus doesn't just talk about God as Father. When he talks to God, he calls him Father. And that was was huge. That was scandalous. That was astonishing. When you think about the relationship between a father and a child, or even a parent and a child, um, there's nothing like it. Um, Except for maybe a husband and wife, but they're on equal footing. If you have two people of I'll say unequal footing, the closest relationship or example you have is between a parent and child. That's closer than an employee and the worker, a leader and a follower, um, a mentor and a disciple. In all these kinds of relationships where they're not equal, the father and child or the parent and child relationship is the most closest, right? It's the most intimate. That's the way it's meant to be. And even on earth, when it's not like that, when our relationship with our father or parents is is not close, we know deep inside that's not the way it should be. We know that's a relationship that should be filled with love and intimacy. And the Jews couldn't fathom that any normal human being could say that God was their father. But what they got wrong was Jesus was no normal human being. He was God, the son, the second person of the Trinity. 
And therefore, he had that relationship with God. A relationship of comfort and freedom and love, honesty and joy, not hindered by any sin or selfishness. Jesus was the perfect son and God was the perfect father. And together with the Holy Spirit, the three enjoyed and enjoy perfect relationship. Right now, perfect relationship. Perfectly close, intimate, knowing and loving each other. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 15, the Father knows me and I know the Father. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one, right? That's the relationship Jesus had. The Jews didn't like it. Now, when I think about that kind of relationship that Jesus had with God the Father, it's not a surprise to me that Jesus prayed so much. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone busier than Jesus, but also you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that prayed as much as Jesus. And I've talked about this before, but you know, Jesus prayed a lot. He would pray in the morning, Mark 1.35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. But also Luke 6, he prayed through the night. It says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So he prays in the morning, he prays in the night, but also in Luke 6 and throughout the Bible you find that before every big event, Every big moment and every big decision, Jesus prays, right? Here, before he calls his disciples and just chooses them, he spends a night of prayer. And the way it's described, it kind of sounds like he prayed all night, all through the night. That's what it sounds like. And it's no wonder, again, that Jesus prayed so much because for him, prayer was not just a box to tick. It wasn't just something that you had to do. It wasn't even time spent alone by myself. For him, it was time spent with a loving father, with the one who knew him and the one who loved him and the one who wants to help him. And so for him, prayer was a time of joy where he would sit at the feet of the father and delight in that relationship. And I think when we think about prayer in that way, as a relationship, it becomes a bit more easier to do, doesn't it? As opposed to something you have to do or a box to tick. Or maybe the pastor talked about prayer and you feel guilty. But when you think of it as a time spent with a loving God, a loving father, it's much more enjoyable. And the reason I know that Jesus' time of prayer was a time with the father, right, that kind of relationship, is because every single prayer Jesus prayed Except once, every single prayer, he called God Father. Again, there are many names to to call God. Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, all these names in the Old Testament, all these great names, creator God. But every time he would come to God, he would call him Father. The only time he didn't was when he was on the cross He said, why have you forsaken me? Right at that time, the father felt far. Jesus called God Father. It wasn't just a title. It was the relationship he enjoyed with God. And that was scandalous so much that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. But 
as scandalous as it was that Jesus called God Father, here is the real scandal. When he talks about how we are to relate with God. I want to talk about our relationship with God now. Now, I want you to imagine you're a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you were there when Jesus first called God Father, and you're like, whoa, I just called him Daddy. <laughs> What's going on? It's weird. And maybe you watched him, and he'd keep, no matter how busy he was, kept going back to the Father in times of prayer. You'd wake up, and Jesus already awake praying. You'd go to bed, and Jesus like, I'll catch up with you later. I'm going to just go spend some time in prayer, and you go to sleep, and you wake up. He spent the whole night in prayer. And you're like, wow, what's going on? He has such a close relationship with God. And so one day, Jesus is off to pray again, and the disciples say, hey, let's ask him how to pray, because he knows what prayer is. And most importantly, he has such a close relationship with God. And so Jesus, he finishes up his prayer, and the disciples go up to Jesus, and they ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Right, and that's the context of where we find the Lord's Prayer. Right, the disciples watch Jesus praying. When he stops, they ask him to teach them, and Jesus tells them the Lord's Prayer. Right, the very, very famous Lord's Prayer. Now, it's interesting that it's called the Lord's Prayer. It should be called our prayer, because this is how we pray, right? That's the question. How do we pray? Jesus tells them. And then we go to Matthew 6, right? So if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew 6. Or if you have a phone, you want to open, if you have a Bible at Matthew 6. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have these free Bibles for you at the back. If you don't have one now, you don't have one at home, maybe your one is falling apart. These are for you. It's free. Just take it. Don't feel bad about it. Um, it's there. Matthew 6. In verse 9, what does Jesus say? <clears throat> he says, pray then like this. What's he say? He says, our Father. Now, that's all we're going to read. <laughs> our Father. Our Father. That's astonishing. That is truly scandalous. You know, the Our Father means at least two things. The first thing it means is that it's not just me, but us. Not just me, but us. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he taught them to pray our Right? Not just pray about yourself, because often we think about prayer as me going into my room to pray for my problems, you know, my situation. And prayer is that, but it's more than that. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray our Father, and then later on, give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Right? The Lord's Prayer is a collective prayer. And so when you pray, pray for your needs, but it's not just me, but it's about us. So pray for the person next to you and pray for your church. And quite possibly, Jesus is encouraging that when we gather like this, we should also be praying. That someone like me or someone, you know, presider might pray or you might pray and say, God, we pray for our needs. And so the first thing is that it's not just me, but us. But the second thing, and this is the really incredible part, is that what this means, it's not just Jesus, but it's me. When Jesus says, our Father, what that means is, the Father is not just for Jesus. It's not just His Father, but He's mine as well. The disciples watch Jesus pray. He has a close relationship with God, unlike anyone else that they have seen. And when they ask Him, teach us how to pray, Jesus tells them, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray to God, 
just like I pray to God. I want you to relate with God just like I relate with Him. I want you to be close to God just as I am close to God. This is scandalous. Jesus was being persecuted and killed for calling God Father, but now Jesus does an even more scandalous thing, and He says, I want us all to call God Father. It's for you as well. Now the religious leaders got one thing right. No mere human should ever claim to be that close to God. Now Jesus was not mere human, he's okay. But you and I, we are just human. Normal, broken, imperfect, sinful human beings. This is scandalous that God would say, that Jesus would say, you can call God Father. But what was impossible Jesus made possible through the cross. Right? Jesus' death made a way that so no matter who you are, no matter what kind of past you had, no, no matter what kind of situation you're in right now, that if you believe in Jesus, God will treat you like he treated his perfect son, Jesus. And you can treat God as Jesus treated his father. That that relationship, that same relationship Jesus enjoyed with the father you can enjoy with the Father. This is incredible. When Mary Magdalene um, was looking for Jesus after he died and was buried, she found Jesus uh, outside the tomb in John 20. This is the resurrected Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And this is what Jesus tells her. It's so beautiful. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. This is John 20, verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Tell the disciples, I'm going to my Father. And by the way, he's also your Father. He's my God, but he's also your God. This is what Jesus had accomplished in his life, his death, now risen from the dead. He had completely finished his task so that all that stood between us and God is now taken away so that the disciples now could truly call God Father. He's not just my Father. He's yours. Now theologians call this what I just explained, the doctrine of adoption. Right? The fact that as a believer, you are adopted by God into his family. And I think this doctrine or this idea, this truth, uh, at least sometimes we don't talk about it enough and maybe we don't understand it enough. We're not amazed enough by it. You know, adoption is different from being saved from your sin, uh, being forgiven of your sin, right? what we tend to call justification. Let me explain the difference between these two. Justification is like this. You might have heard this uh, analogy you're sitting in court before a judge, and God is the judge, because you've done wrong, right? You've sinned. And the judge is about to lay down his verdict for your wrongdoing. You're guilty. You deserve to be punished, right? He's about to slam down the, the gavel, right? The, the gavel is about to say, guilty. But then Jesus steps up, and he says, I'll take the punishment, right? I'll, I'll, I'll take that punishment for him or her. I'll I'll, I'll die. I'll take the death, right? That's justification. And the judge says, okay, 
Jesus, go to the cross, die, take the punishment, take my anger, and now Paul, forgiven. That's justification. And God could have stopped there. And if God stopped there, it's already amazing. It's already grace and mercy. We don't deserve that. And the judge says, go home, Paul, good luck. You know, try to figure out your life. But that's not where God stopped. What adoption is, is that the judge, just as you are about to leave the door, he says, wait, 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 come back. Because Paul, you're messed up. And you have nowhere to go. You have no family. But you need help. You need provision. You need love. You need a family. You need a father. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to adopt you into my family. And I'm going to be your father now and for eternity. And I'm going to protect you and provide for you every day from here out. You're my child. Call me father. That is adoption. That's the extra step that God took. And what I want you to know is, number one, this is your legal reality. Your legal reality. And what I mean is, if there were any papers to sign, anything to stamp, any paperwork, it's done. If you're a believer, it's done. You're a child of God. That's your reality. And nothing's ever going to change that. God has adopted you into his family. He is your father. You are his child. And it's scandalous. I remember back when um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were a thing. They were a couple. I remember hearing um, they adopted a child. Right? His name's Pax. Right? Angelina Jolie, I think, adopted two kids before that without Brad Pitt. But then together, they adopted a child. And I remember hearing they adopted a child. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know? it felt, I felt like that was such an amazing thing. Uh, one, because Brangelina are so busy and so famous and have so many things going on. Like they could just be on a yacht somewhere. But they chose to spend time to adopt a child. Right? How amazing is that? But the second thing was, how lucky is that child to be adopted into that kind of family, with that kind of parents, right? It's Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Like, rich, famous, they're never going to need anything in life, right? They're, they're going to be so well taken care of. For some reason, at least for me, maybe for you, I can be amazed by that, but it's hard to be amazed that I'm adopted by God. But when you think about it, being adopted by God is such a much more amazing thing. Because God is busy. God could be doing anything else in his life, not be caring about you and I. But God, he would choose to adopt a mere human, sinner, rebe rebel like you and I. And at the same time, how lucky are we that we could be adopted by none other than God the Father, who is rich and famous and he can take care of us and provide for us. That's the amazing truth, that your legal reality is that you are a child of God, just like Jesus enjoyed his relationship with the Father. But I don't think we struggle with that. I don't think our struggle is knowing I'm a child of God. You've probably heard that before. I think most of us, when we pray, we call God Father. We know that. I think the struggle is that even though it's our legal reality, it's not our lived reality. We don't really live like it's true. We don't really live like we have a Father in heaven. 
We don't spend our days enjoying God like He's your Father. Do you delight that God is your Father? I want you to imagine a child newly adopted into a home. Paperwork is done. It's all official. But the child is hesitant. Doesn't really trust his or her new parents. And so the child doesn't open up at the dinner table, just gives one-word answers. They never want to hang out with the parents. They just go into their room and lock the door. The child is so mistrusting that in the middle of the night when everyone's asleep, they sneak down and raid the pantry and take some of the food and hide it just in case they get kicked out. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get kicked out soon. They're going to figure out what a mess I am and I'm out of here. So I've got to get ready. When you imagine that scenario, what's the problem? The problem is not the father or the mother. The parents love the child. They've done all the hard work to get the child to be their very own. The problem is not that the child's not legally a child. They are. The paperwork is done. You go to the, the I don't know where you go, you go to the official place and you ask them, can you show me? They'll show you. You are a child. The problem is that they don't live like one. Their heart's not open to it. They don't delight in their parents. And I wonder if, for some of us, this is where we are. You are a child of God. You are loved by the Father. But we just don't spend time with Him. We give Him one-word answers. We'd rather lock ourselves in our rooms and spend time with God. We don't trust that He will love us in the future. Maybe you're afraid that one day He will kick you out. The truth of the matter is you are a child of God. If you believe in Jesus, you are a son of the Father. You are a daughter of the Father. When you speak, your Father listens to every word. Your Father loves and cares for you deeply, for your struggle, your situation, what you're going through right now. Your Father wants this relationship and has gone to great lengths to make sure that you have been adopted into His family. Do you believe that? There is no one who knows you more, loves you more, can help you more than your father can. Make that your reality. When I say let's spend this year walking with God, that's what I'm talking about. Not just you know, know about God, but truly know God as if we have a personal relationship with Him. To spend our time speaking with Him and being honest with Him, to truly walk with Him. The question isn't whether you are loved by the Father, whether you have a place in heaven. The question is, are you ready to experience that? Right? It's one thing to be a child of God. It's another to live as a child of God. Jesus said, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Last week at the end of my sermon, a brother came up to me will not be named. And they said, great sermon. He told us the, the what and the why. He didn't really tell us how to walk with God. And I said, you're exactly right. I actually had a part in my sermon where I said, I'm not going to tell you how to do this, how to practically walk with God. Um, last week's sermon, this week's sermon, next week's sermon, it's really just about engaging your heart. 
to convince you really or convict you that walking with God is important. We're going to spend pockets of this year practically going through what walking together with God looks like, right? We're going to get into some of that nitty-gritty. But I do have one challenge for you. The challenge is this week, pray every day to God as your Father. Pray every day to your Father. Let me talk about the first and the second part. Pray every day. If we could know how many people here pray uh, every day or spend a conscious effort to sit down just with God, if we could, like, we won't raise hands, but if we did, I think we'd be both discouraged and encouraged. We're being discouraged because I think less people would put up their hands than we think. But I think we'd be encouraged because we'd know that we're not alone in our struggle to pray. Uh, Praying every day, it's not that easy. Um, But I think it's the starting point of remembering God and walking with Him. And what I want you to do is find a time in your day where you can just sit down with God. And we're going to do it right now. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think through your day. When do you have a pocket of time to sit down with God? Can you do it straight as you wake up? Or if you have kids and you're a late waker and you've got to rush off to work, maybe it doesn't work. Do you, do you catch a train to work? Does it work then? Do you have time in the middle of work? You've got a long lunch break? Or maybe after work, before you have dinner or before you go to bed, right? When's the best time? I want you to find it. I'll give you 30 seconds. Actually, let's make it 10 seconds. 30 seconds is a long time. All right, that's 10 seconds. 30, 30 seconds is long. And I want you now to put a reminder on your phone, right, if you need it. It's very easy. We all have phones. You can even tell your phone, hey, um, hey, phone. Set a reminder, 7 a.m. every day, pray. Right? It'll just do it for you. And I want you to just keep it. If, if you haven't prayed, like, consistently, maybe just start with one minute. When you sit down, set a timer, one minute. One minute feels short. It might feel long. One minute, and maybe do two, three, four, five, six, seven, right, consecutively in those days. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Maybe you can stop at five if that feels long. <clears throat> pray every day. The second part is, as you pray, I want you to pray to God as Father. I don't know how you refer to God normally. Do you call Him God? Do you call Him uh, Father? You know, for me, my first two words in every prayer is usually Heavenly Father or Father God, right? I don't know if you call God Father. But for me, I don't think I really stop and think about what I'm saying. It's just like, a, it's just like what, you, what you have to say before you get into, you know, the real prayer. It's just like a filler. But, you know, the truth of the matter is this. When we pray Father, when we begin our prayer with Father, that is probably the most significant part of your prayer. I don't know about your prayers, but usually for mine, everything else that comes afterwards is not that important. It's like about me, my feelings, and my struggles, and God listens, and He he cares about that stuff, but it's really not that important. But when I say, Father, 
Man, that is something crazy. Again, I'm, I'm saying something that should be an impossibility. I'm something, saying something that should be blasphemy. But it's now my reality in Jesus Christ. Every time I say Father, or you say Father, it is really worth stopping and being amazed just by that one word. And so as we call God Father, I want to encourage you to pause. And not let that word just slip you by, but sit on that. And maybe spend that whole time of prayer about God being your Father. Like, Father, help me to know that I'm loved by you. I love you. Sometimes you feel far. Sometimes I struggle with the idea that you are truly my father. Sometimes I struggle with being amazed that I'm adopted into your family. Just pray about the fact that God is your father and try to be amazed by it. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time and it's hard for you to kind of be amazed that God is your father. And when you say father, it's just, you're so used to it. Maybe you can, not always, but you know, once or twice, a few times, you can call God daddy. That's so weird. <laughs> I, I wouldn't encourage it all the time to make it a thing when you're in growth groups and you say, hey, can you pray? And you're like, and I think it's more distracting than helpful when it's in public. But in private, you know, this week I actually, I actually prayed to God as, as daddy. And it feels weird, right? It feels very uncomfortable. I feel like, oh, like, that's, that's, not, that's not okay. How dare I call him daddy? But here's the thing. I think it helps us feel emotions that we should be feeling when we call God father. Because when we call God father, it should feel uncomfortable. It should feel like we shouldn't be able to do that. It should feel scandalous that we call God Father. And I think sometimes we get too used to calling God Father that maybe calling Him Daddy will make you be amazed again like you and I should be. Or maybe if you don't call Him Daddy or Dad, if you have a second language that you can speak, maybe you can say the, the, the term in that other language just because you're not familiar with it. But I'm Korean, and so the equivalent would be abonim or appa. And when I pray, I say appa or abonim, it feels weird again because I'm not used to it. But again, just to rekindle that amazement that God, creator of the universe, the king of kings, he who is highest and perfect and holy and majestic, that he is your father. And just sit on that incredible truth. Pray every day to your Father, right? That's what I encourage us to do. The purpose of this year, my goal for us is that we would walk with God, but we would walk with God, a God who is incredibly, astonishingly, scandalously our Father, right? And so let's begin by approaching Him with that re relationship to make that our lived reality. Okay, we're gonna do that right now. And maybe you can call God whatever you want. Maybe you can call Him Father, Daddy, Dad, let's come before God. And let's just sit under the truth that He's our Father. Let's thank Him for being our Father. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us be amazed that He's our Father. And let's commit to love Him. Let's confess we struggle to love Him. And let's ask that our relationship with God would be like one, like a father 
and a child. Help me, God, this year. Let's make that our prayer. Let's spend a good minute in prayer with our Father. Let's pray. Kingsway, I'm going to encourage us to pray out loud. This is a part of the culture that we want to build. I know it's a little scary to pray in groups, um, but the more we pray out loud, the people next to us won't be as afraid. And so I just want to encourage us just to speak boldly to God right now. Let's spend a minute praying to God. Let's pray out loud.